Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm in McGarry and with me as always is Duncan Castles. Lots of Manchester United news, a bit of Liverpool, also some Watford. And of course, it's that time of the week for the donkey. Duncan, Manchester United never, ever far away from the headlines. And this week, they were very negative when they crashed out of the Champions League in the group stage. Uh, a 3-2 loss at RB Leipzig, uh, securing the fact that they will now be playing Europa League football in the new year, rather in the elite competition. A achievement, if you want to call it that, which could cost the club up to anywhere between 30 to 40 million euros. Certainly they're only guaranteed to earn just under 10 million euros uh, for the participation so far. It's not something that either the Glazers or Ed Woodward and the board will be very uh, happy about, given that they like to look at the figures and see them looking better rather than worse. Um, They also have uh, some issues with regards to recruitment in January. And you have uh, news for us with regards to a potential exit and, well, possible um, uh, player coming into Old Trafford in January. Yeah, and I I think this is something that if you went through that uh, kind of downbeat press conference that Uli Gunnar Solskjaer gave after going out to Leipzig, one of the things he mentioned was defending. Um, saying that we want to defend maybe higher up. Uh, we got pegged back during midweek and they scored from crosses, which was disappointing. Um, defence is an issue for him, ironically, given the amount of money that's been spent on the defence since he has become manager of the club. Obviously, that world record signing of a centre-back, Harry Maguire, with massive wages on top. Um, huge transfer fee for Aaron Bissaka. Then, uh, you know, a reasonably priced deal for Alex Telesh because he was uh, nearing the end of his contractual period at FC Porto and a huge contract, the biggest in the Premier League, given to David De Gea in goal and also a very significant contract given to Dean Henderson to retain him at the club. And um, they, you can see Manchester United actually spending more with Sergio Romero's wages and goalkeeper's wages than, than some clubs spend on their entire uh, squad, but he as as he wanted in the summer is looking and asking for a left-footed centre back um, to try and improve their defending, try and get uh, compensate for Harry Maguire's um, obvious issues. Issues that, as we've discussed with some of our uh, listeners this week, we pointed out way before um, Maguire was signed for the club, and which should become you know patently evident as he's played uh, for Manchester United and been under that extra focus there is when you are the centre-back and the captain of one of the biggest clubs in in world football. I can tell you that there have been um, discussions with Villarreal over uh, a deal for Pau Torres, their um, Spain under-21 international, uh, who is now 23 years of age. Um, recently signed a contract last year until 2024, is liked by Barcelona, but um, probably out of Barcelona's uh, price range at present unless they um, achieve a big sale because his uh, contract includes a 50 million euro release clause with a further 25 million euros, I understand, of bonuses included in that clause should uh, a club buy out his contract. Um, Barcelona 
have been trying to get Eric Garcia um, a much cheaper solution. I'm told he remains the, the most likely uh, incoming at Barcelona in defence, unless, of course, they make a lot of money from selling players and then they could go for someone like Pau Torres. Um, he is left-footed, which is what uh, Manchester United have been looking for in this position. He's young, um, which they like. He is ready to go straight into the first team in principle. He, he's played every minute in La Liga for Villarreal this season, um, scoring one goal in those 12 uh, Spanish league appearances. Um, and should, you would expect, improve on that cadre of six um, first team centre-backs that Manchester United currently have. Um, and also, I think you can now add Luke Shaw into the, the count of centre-backs because in big games like the Leipzig match where Solskjaer decides to play with a back five, Shaw has often been used as that left-sided centre-back in that lineup. The interesting part of this is that uh, Manchester United's discussions with Villarreal, I'm told, have involved offering Marcus Rojo to Villarreal as part of the deal. Um, which is a, a bold move, given that Rojo has not played a game for them for some time and was excluded entirely from their Champions League squad, and also given that he is out of contract himself in the summer. So from any kind of normal transfer market rationale, his valuation has to be limited uh, in this window as he is close to being able to negotiate a pre-contract with other clubs. Um, he's not playing football, hasn't played much football for a long time. He's on a very big wage at Manchester United. Clubs have tried to sign him in previous windows, but United have always backed away from those deals because they didn't get the fee they wanted or were being asked to subsidise his wages. They are again in a similar position in this window in that Rojo has been made available for transfer or loan. Um, his agent has been working to try and get him a deal, but I am told the only offers he has at present are one from Sheffield United and one from the championship club, Reading. Um, obviously, Reading are not going to pay those wages in full. Um, I, I would be surprised if Sheffield United were prepared to do so Two, so far United have said no to Sheffield United um, and uh, Rojo is keen, I'm told, to go there because he wants to play football and that's the best of the offers he has at present and is pressuring the club to make a decision. Um, pressure also coming from the Sheffield United then because they want to recruit there um, and if the deal can't be made with Manchester United that suits them, obviously have to look at other contenders. Um, but you do see one of the players in Torres and, and fitting that framework of left-sided centre-back, a younger player who can come in and uh, and hopefully improve their defensive setup um, being worked on. Uh, and we'll see if they manage to come up with a, the kind of money that Villarreal would actually need to do that deal rather than trying to um, uh, create something with with Rojo as a make-weight. You have to wonder, Duncan, if the reason that uh, United are unwilling to sell to Sheffield United is because they don't want to sell to a Premier League rival. Huh? <laughs> um, however, uh, maybe that will improve in the coming weeks. We also have information here at the transfer window that Manchester United and Liverpool uh, have re-established interest, which they showed first of all in the summer in Brighton defender Ben White, who has made a very, very impressive start to the season at the South Coast Club, having, of course, uh, completed last season at Leeds United uh, with promotion to the Premier League. Um, White probably fits into this cultural reboot picture Duncan with regards to him being a young English player, someone who can play out from the back, a player who can play in a three or in a four played in a four at Leeds United has played, has played in a three most of the time at Brighton this season um, what I can see from 
well, from certainly the performances that he has put in so far, is that perhaps he would fit better at Liverpool than he would at United. But also, as we reported in the summer window, that Brighton Hove Albion value the player at anything at 50 plus million pounds, which is very, very, um, uh, you know, costly amount of money for uh, a player who has made just um, 10 Premier League appearances in his career, um, but so highly rated is he at Brighton that the people at the club believe that his true value will not really be recognised until he's had a full season um, playing in the Premier League. Um, but obviously, Liverpool Manchester United feel like uh, maybe they can do something in January. Player, a player that Leeds United obviously wanted to keep in the summer and Brighton insisted on retaining and, and improved his contract and understand our are discussing improving his contract again, given the, this um, this interest from from the top clubs in England. Um, just tell me, and why do you feel he would be a better fit to Liverpool than Manchester United? Well, first of all, uh, I think Duncan, you've said, and we've discussed at length that not just Solskjaer, but it seems very obvious that United need a left-sided centre back, and White is actually. Uh, quite good on both feet, but is right-footed predominantly. Therefore, uh, that would not necessarily be the best fit for, for Manchester United. Also at Liverpool, um, he would play eventually alongside Virgil van Dijk, um, in which case then you've got two defenders uh, who can play out from the back and be depended upon to do so. They also uh, defend very well at set pieces and attack very well at set pieces, uh, whereas that's something which, again, Man United uh, lack. Uh, and, of course, the high press that Liverpool play, especially with uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson on both flanks, would suit because both Van Dijk and White have pace to recover should they be caught in a position whereby they're being hit on the counter. Whereas United, of course, as we've discussed many times, do not have that pace. Yes, White would uh, improve that, but you can't defend as a single centre-back uh, just because Harry Maguire's lacking behind you and failing to get back to help cover up on any specific counter-attack against teams who do that. Um, so that's where I think maybe Liverpool would be a better uh, suit for White. But... I would think that maybe staying at Brighton, at least for this season, would be probably his best option in order that he can learn his trade in the Premier League rather than being thrown into the lion's den, which it would be, let's face it, um, having to play at Manchester United in particular, given their um, goals conceded record this season. And even Liverpool, for that matter, who have suddenly become quite porous in defence, with not necessarily because of Van Dijk's injury, but they um, seem to have lost the knack of keeping clean sheets and holding out on games where uh, they are just one or two nil ahead. So um, that's my view on Ben White. Uh, I do think he's got a huge future ahead of him. I know that Gareth Southgate um, rates him very highly. I would fully expect him to be included in the England squad in the spring um, ahead of the European Championship finals next summer as well. And again, he needs to be playing football to do that. So staying at Brighton, playing every week, being able to be seen by Southgate and his coaching staff. And Steve Holland is a regular visitor to the Amex Stadium outside of coronavirus uh, restrictions, obviously, uh, to watch players. Uh, I feel a little bit sorry for Lewis Duncan this, actually, just as a little aside, because he is the senior partner um, in that defence and um, his form certainly hasn't dropped uh, this year. But uh, Brighton have conceded more goals from set pieces than they have in the last four years, uh, statistically, uh, in terms of uh, the games they've played compared to the goals conceded. And I think a lot of that's got to do with Shane Duffy leaving for the loan deal to Celtic because Duffy and Dunk uh, are the kind of no-nonsense body-on-the-line defenders um, who will do anything to stop the ball getting into the net. Uh, and what Brighton have now is uh, in uh, Webster and White 
uh, two ball-playing centre-backs uh, who perhaps are more suited to a possession-based game that Graham Potter favours rather than the um, the style that Chris Hutton preferred, uh, which was, of course, to defend first and attack second. Yeah, I, th- I think this interest from Manchester United is around Ben White's uh, potential and the fact that he's English and he's young and other top clubs in, in England are looking at him because... <laughs> the strategy and the priority has been a left-sided centre-back, a left-footed centre-back um, to balance out Maguire and allow Maguire to move on to the right side of the defence and pass with his right foot from the right side and, and improve the, the circulation of play from the back. Um, if you know you need that player, which I think they've correctly identified, then to buy or try to buy a right-footed young English player complicates matters unless you're planning to move permanently to that uh, five-man defence that Solskjaer used in Leipzig. And then you have you can play Maguire at the centre, Ben White right, and your new left-sided, left-footed centre-back, be that Pau Torres or someone else they try and get. And remember, they always tend to go for multiple targets when they're... Um, and they're pursuing these transfers. But they are very much overloaded at centre-back, have been for a long time. You bring Ben White in, you ask, is that the end for a bye? They're trying to offload Rawhall. They're trying to offload Phil Jones. Phil Jones, I think, is an even harder one to get out of the club than Rawhall because he's on a longer contract, similarly overpaid um, in terms of his abilities and performances and um, not pushing for a move away. So he's not trying to to find a new club himself, unlike Rojo. You would still have Lindelof. Um, you still have Axel Tuanzebi, who um, who Solskjaer rates highly uh, and, and believes he can promote. They have at least one good centre-back in their academy system. Um, who they think are, is close to being promoted into the first team squad. So um, Ben White would seem like a, an abundance of riches and, and sort of moving to a player who you think you should be going for because your rivals want him rather than the player who obviously fits into uh, your needs at present. Indeed. Um, and what, Duncan, one of the more interesting um, outcomes of this week's defeat uh, and the exit of Manchester United from the Champions League was the dreaded stroke, very predictable vote of confidence in Solskjaer, uh, which came in, a, in an off-the-record briefing from the club. And they did so in rather emphatic terms. Uh, saying that there was still great confidence in him and what he was doing and what he was building, etc., etc. However, um, having spoken to people uh, who are not part of the PR machine at Manchester United, uh, it is the transfer window's understanding that there is concern at the highest level, uh, and by that, the owners of the club, that perhaps Solskjaer is not the long-term answer to getting success for Manchester United and that there is a, the phrase was used, a fractured confidence in the head coach with regards to going forward. And while they were okay to stand by him for now, see what happens in the upcoming games. And of course, it's the Manchester Derby on Saturday evening, uh, which will be a very big game for, uh, for Solskjaer. But that it cannot possibly be sustainable for this type of inconsistency which sees Solskjaer and United lose games which you would expect. Remember, they beat Leipzig 5-0 in the first corresponding fixture and then lose 3-2 in the second to go out. Um, It's unsustainable in the medium to long term for uh, the club to be in a position whereby they were constantly riding this peak and trough type. Uh, uh, it looks like the graph and their form and the way in which they play and the paucity of performance uh, then obviously supplemented 
next time round by a decent performance or a good performance in which they win a relatively big game. I suppose, Duncan, this is understandable. After all, the, the Glazer family um, are business people. Um, they're in this for the money, not for the glory. Uh, and therefore, if glory uh, is being uh, undermined uh, because money is not being made as well, despite the fact there is major investment into the club and into the playing staff, etc., then you can see why questions are being asked, even though Edward Wood and Matt Judge at the club still retain uh, confidence in Solskjaer and his coaching staff, uh, which is you know, understandable given that it was effectively they who appointed him uh, and the Glazers went along with it. But it seems to me that this is a particular blow in terms of finances, in terms of exiting the Champions League, and also that Solskjaer has shown himself to be an up and down manager in terms of results, uh, which is not something that business people like. They prefer stability, they prefer reassurance, and they prefer uh, at least a degree of confidence that the money will still keep rolling in regardless uh, of what's going on. And that seems to be what's causing the doubts about Solskjaer. Well, Edward Wood is on record as saying that their calculation is that they have spent more money um, in the last three transfer windows net on player acquisitions than any other club in world football. So there is a big investment in Solskjaer. He certainly has the strongest squad he's ever had. I think there's a fair argument that he now has the strongest squad of any post-Ferguson manager. I mean, there is actually a depth, a real depth in central midfield of talent. They've got six international class central midfielders and they're in a position where Paul Pogba is used as an impact substitute, which is a remarkable uh, state of affairs and says a lot about Pogba himself and the, and the issues they've had with him. But remember, Pogba was signed as the most expensive transfer in English football to be the man they, that Manchester United built a midfield around. And now he's an impact substitute. They've got a lot of depth in attack, in, in centre-forward striker positions. Um, Mason Greenwood is probably going to be the best English striker of the next decade if he continues on his development path. And I think in that game in Leipzig, again, showed a maturity beyond his years and the way that he won a penalty, um, which probably shouldn't have been given in most circumstances, but was a, an important time in the game, a period in which referees will tend to give penalties again for teams who are 3-0 down and look like they're dead and buried, was cleverly won and got them with it into a chance of recovering a game that, that looked like they'd lost. They've got Edinson Cavani as a backup striker who offers them a, a different type, a player who's comfortable um, with his back to goal, who's comfortable in the air. Um, we've already said about the amount of money that's been spent on the defence, the depth they have at goalkeeper. Now, you, the, you can argue that the, the money hasn't been spent well in defence, in certain positions, the, the centre-back being the obvious one. But there has been a lot of investment there. Now, on top of that, what is clear is that Uli Gunnar Solskjaer's decisions in the last two games of the Champions League group, um, his decision to keep Fred on the pitch after he got away with what was a clear red card offence in the, the first half against Paris Saint-Germain and multiple yellow card challenges um, before that, but also after it. Um, with him being sent off in the second half and with United collapsing after he was sent off and losing that game and falling into a position where they then had to get a result at Leipzig. So that decision coupled with the formation and the tactical approach he took in Leipzig of playing a back five with two holding midfielders in front of them um, uh, you know, you can talk about hypocrisy in managers or you can be um, generous to him and say that he was attempting to play some kind of mind game. But he went into that game press conference before the match saying you can't sit back and hope for a nil-nil draw. It's not in our genes. We want to go out there and win a game. Then he goes in with a back five with two holding midfielders and they concede a goal in the second minute. 
concede another one not long after could easily have been 4-0 down in the first half hour of the match. Um, you can try and blame the players for that, but the setup was a defensive one. It was badly implemented. Um, they made errors as they have all season, um, defending cross balls. They made errors uh, defending set pieces, which has been a problem throughout Solskjaer's time at the club. Those two decisions were eminently avoidable um, and they come down to the manager making mistakes that he did not need to make, which cost Manchester United a place in the knockout stages of the Champions League. Set aside the glory element of that, set aside what Manchester United supporters want to see, which is their team competing at that level. It costs the Glazers money. Um, just in prize money lost, United lost £17.9 million of Champions League prize money. That's before um, other uh, broadcast uh, revenue that comes from being in the latter stages of the Champions League on those two decisions. Now, that's more than enough money to dismiss Solskjaer, all of his support staff, and to pay the extra um, you would have to pay for a replacement coach. So if the Glazers aren't having that consideration in mind, uh, I'd be very surprised. And your information is that they are thinking about this and they're not convinced. And certainly that um, if you were to uh, be able to talk privately to the Glazers about their thinking on where the club is at the moment, they wouldn't be saying the kind of things that were uh, put out in an off-record club brief, which were quite remarkable in some of the content. It's, one was that the that United are still in contention for four trophies, um, which is true, but they're in contention for one trophy because they were knocked out of the Champions League uh, and, the other, and another trophy they haven't even started playing in yet. And realistically, are they in contention for the Premier League title given the way they've played this season? I, I think realistically they're not. Um, there was an argument that they have 19 points and 19 goals from their first 10 matches this season, which is significantly better than last season. Well, it should be because last season was their worst ever start to a Premier League campaign, um, despite Solskjaer saying that once he'd had a pre-season and once he'd got the players running hard and outrunning the opposition, which is, by the way, something they didn't do against Leipzig in the, in the Champions League in midweek. Um, everything would be fine and, and much improved. Um, their sight being five points behind the leaders as being progress. Well, again, yes, it is progress on last season, but it's only progress on last season because last season was a massive drop-off on where they'd been um, a season previously when they finished second to Manchester City and, and got 81 points from over the course of the season. And then the last bit was that the team now has an identity under Solskjaer, which, you know, that's a subjective judgment. And perhaps Ed Woodward thinks they do have an identity now. But certainly if you listen to individuals like Paul Scholes talking about that game um, and the exit to Leipzig, and Scholes is a person who has gone out of his way not to criticise Solskjaer's decisions, his, his former teammates, one of the things he used as a, a defence for Solskjaer was to talk about how they don't have an identity and saying, I think what he's trying to do is trying to find an identity for the team. Said, we're coming here today. None of us know how they're going to play, what system they're going to do, how they're going to do it. We've just no idea. Now it's very difficult for Ollie to find that because the team is so inconsistent. You can't, you just can't find the way they're playing. So the, and, and so I think school's comments about the identity and the style of play are, are not um, off the mark here. It is certainly a problem with the team. You have Gary Neville talking again about that issue that they are a team he can't get excited about in terms of their progress because they seem to be dependent on four or five game changers who are capable of, of coming up with moments of indi individual brilliance, are capable of recovering games um, where they've fallen behind, but don't consistently perform and there isn't a coherent pattern to the team. And I, I think also it's important 
if you're going to make these assessments and, and try and argue that it's progress to have 19 points from 10 games and 19 goals scored and ignore how many goals they've conceded this season and that being five points off the top um, with a game in hand is, is progress as well, you have to actually look at how those results were achieved. Um, you have to say that they've had a fair chunk of decisions go in their favour, refereeing decisions, VAR decisions. They, you know, they won a game at Brighton um, with a penalty that was awarded after the final whistle. For example, you have the, the West Bromwich Albion game recently where West Bromwich have a, a penalty overturned. United go up the other end. United clearly foul the West Brom player. The referee ignores it and United get a penalty um, from under the new handball rule. You can actually go through their Premier League games this season and try and find where they've come up with a really convincing performance. And you know, Crystal Palace at home lose 3-1, very poor. Brighton, they beat 3-2 in a game in which I think Brighton hit the woodwork five times. Um, and we're clearly the better team on the day. Then they get destroyed 6-1 by Man by Tottenham at home. They win 4-1 at Newcastle, which you might say is one of their better performances, but that was 1-1 with 10 minutes to play and a, and a bit of the kind of individual genius that uh, Gary Neville has talked about uh, brings them back into the game, gets them the 2-1 and they score two goals late because Newcastle are are pushing for the result. 0-0 against Chelsea at home, not convincing at all. Lose 1-0 to Arsenal at home, an Arsenal side that has desperately struggled in domestic competition since then and, and slightly ahead of that. Come back from a goal down at Everton. Um, again, a good recovery, but there were periods early on in that game where Everton, you could have seen um, getting a two-goal lead and making it very difficult for them. Then that win against West Brom at home, which was fortunate. 3-2 against Southampton. Southampton again had opportunities to make it 3-0 in that match. 3-1 um, at West Ham United in their last Premier League game where West Ham were all over uh, Manchester United in the first half, where individuals like Patrice Evra were aggressively criticising the team and saying, well, we might recover from this, but this is not the way to play, where um, West Ham missed open goals to extend their lead and where United were dependent on a, on a ball that went out of play, being ignored or missed by the officials for the, the crucial first goal that got them back into the match. It, it's actually difficult to find one performance in there where they are a convincing... Um, dominant side that you would expect them to be because it's Manchester United and because they want to be top of the Premier League. So, so citing the points taken, which I don't think is a great total in realistic terms, um, in terms of what you would expect Manchester United to be able to achieve as a club with the investment that's been put in for this manager, with the support he's had, um, in a lot of the signings that have been given to him with the support he's had in terms of changing the style of play and talking about often we have to win and we have to play attacking football, but they're not actually producing it. Um, they're not there yet. I, and I'm not saying that they can't get there with this group of players, but I am definitely saying that Solskjaer's mistakes on easy decisions in football matches have cost them results this season, they cost them results last season. And there isn't really any clear um, path where you, you can imagine that that's going to improve. I think that's a fundamental aspect of him as a coach. So they are handicapping themselves by having a coach who's not top class in charge of a, a team which has benefited from top class investment. Forensic analysis, as always, from Duncan, which makes me surprised that he's only just a doctor and not a surgeon. Uh, <laughs> what with that sharpened scalpel that he just dissected Manchester United season so far. Uh, however, I'm sure you've all got your views. And as you know, you're welcome to express them uh, on our social media platforms so that we can answer your questions and indeed gain your opinions and your analysis as well.
It wouldn't be the transfer window unless at this time of year we gave you an update on Paul Pogba. And uh, we have learned uh, since our report on Tuesday's podcast that Manchester United are willing to accept um, certainly a smaller fee, but interestingly uh, have made it clear that they would consider a loan with an option uh, to buy, an obligation to buy clause in uh, any loan deal for January. I think this is uh, emblematic of how um, keen they are to uh, dispose of the France international midfielder, given the comments of his agent, Mino Raiola, and also the player's attitude generally, uh, which is not perceived around the club to be anywhere near what's expected of a Manchester United player. Uh, many of his colleagues and teammates believe that he's already somewhere else in terms of his football club in his head and that a loan deal could be a good solution because of the current financial climate in football, a climate which uh, it's certainly the case uh, that we are expecting in January will see more loan deals and loan deals with obligations to buy rather than outright purchases. Uh, January has actually been quite a lucrative month in recent years um, for tr transfers and full transfers in terms of permanent contracts, but that's not expected to be the case as the COVID hit economy really does kick in all the way through Europe and certainly in the Premier League as well. And that even though clubs will require to make additions to their squad, it will be done uh, through uh, other means rather than simply offering a lot of money to a club uh, in order to secure a player's signature. Pogba will certainly come under the economic transition in that sense, given that he is United's most expensive player, uh, record transfer of 100 million euros. Uh, we understand that United would be willing to accept an obligation to buy plus the loan clause of between 60 and 65 million euros for the player who cost them that record transfer fee four years ago. Um, Duncan, it's not a surprise really. Uh, I said, you know, think stars are aligning here with both Pogba's attitude, his agents' uh, outbursts, and also um, what's clearly uh, on the pitch looks like a player's, let's just say, um, laissez-faire attitude um, to his form with regards um, actually producing on the pitch. And United are going to have to be realistic here about selling the player because he's not excelled. He's excelled in very small fits and starts at Old Trafford, but he's not excelled over the course of a full season or two years, etc., etc. And the best solution now certainly looks like uh, that there's a parting of the ways and Paul will reignite his career somewhere else. Yeah, I, th I think he did reasonably well against Leipzig coming off the bench and and I think he he's done reasonably well when used in that uh, super sub role by Solskjaer. Um, <laughs> an interesting of the, of the substitutes he made in that match when he you know starts with two left backs that three of his changes were um, to bring defenders on for defenders when chasing the game. Um, and I think also worth noting that two of the defenders he took off had yellow cards. So perhaps he's uh, he has been damaged by that decision over Fred and was worried that chasing the game, one of the, the two had already been booked if he'd left them on the pitch, um, could have been sent off and, and he would have received more criticism for that. Um, but if, if he's thinking that way and second-guessing himself, that's also not a good sign for the manager. He was asked about Pogba after the match and, and his comments on Raiola were quite cutting. He said that the sooner Paul's agent realises that this is a team sport and we work together, the better. And that's probably uh, maybe the last thing I'll say about that. I don't want to spend any energy on that. Um, if he's hoping that Mino Raiola realises it's a team sport and is going to work together with the manager and the players at a club soon and that's going to solve the problem for him. It's not going to happen. We know how Mino Raiola represents his players. We know he is interested in the 
interests of his clients and football clubs are ways of achieving that. United were warned about Raiola because they lost Paul Pogba because Raiola came in and took over the agency there advising Pogba's agent and saw the opportunity to move him to Italy um, for uh, the, the minimal FIFA transfer um, compensation um, at the end of his contract as a as an academy player and uh, and turned Pogba into a very rich man off the back of it and again I think sees the opportunity to get Pogba into a situation where he can perform better and make more money and Raiola can make more money from the deal. Um, I think you're right that United are clever to pursue a loan with a, an obligation to buy in this window. I don't think there are many other options available to them. It's more likely to get a deal that way because they're not, they're allowing any club that is going to sign them a bit more leeway before they, they put the cash down. But as we discussed in the, the last podcast and we, we talked about Raiola um, entering into discussions with Paris Saint-Germain um, about a move there, there are a limited number of options for Pogba to move to um, and clubs who will be able to, to pay their the wages he expects to have, the wages he already has. Um, and where he, he will be happy playing. So it's not going to be an easy um, answer for for the team and for United. Um, I think this game at the weekend is, is also extremely important to them. It will be interesting to see if Pogba is used in that. Um, you can argue that Pogba's best performance as a Manchester United player was against Manchester City um, when he... Uh, led the team to a 3-2 win, um, being 2-0 down and, and lucky to only be 2-0 down at half time and, and stop Manchester City from lifting the title uh, against their big rivals at, at their home stadium and uh, you know gave a bit of pleasure to the Manchester United fans off the back of it. I think we should also remember that that happened after another one of Mino Raiola's interventions, public interventions, which... Uh, uh, kind of threw a hand grenade into, into the dressing room. So Pogba has actually responded quite well to these circumstances when he's been fit, when Raiola said something controversial, uh, when we've expected him not to perform because of, of, the, of the problems that have been caused. He's actually done quite well in the field. I think it, it serves to focus him. Um, and look, we've talked about the Manchester City game. I think we that long discussion we've had about Solskjaer's history at Manchester United and, and we're coming up to almost two years since he was appointed manager. What has been part of the pattern is whenever the pressure has been highest on him, he has come up with a result. And I think the Manchester City game is quite well set up for him to get another result because Guardiola has not adapted his style of play to... Um, match up with Manchester United. Mm -hmm. The uh, the counter-attacking style that's been most effective for Solskjaer suits the way Manchester City come to them. Uh, Solskjaer has delivered results against City in, is in the, these two years. And if Guardiola goes into this game and plays his standard system and it, it doesn't make any accommodation for, for Manchester United, there is a good chance that United get the first goal on the counter um, and get a result. And, and, you know, probably a draw would be considered a, a big success for, for Solskjaer in this game. So it could be another of those uh, periods in which the team hasn't performed very well, albeit they are on a run of four wins in the Premier League. We just discussed it. That is deceptive. Um, that he comes up with a feel-good result when under pressure because the, the opposition is is well suited to to the most effective way he has United playing. Duncan, I'm going to, because I love doing this just because, you know, it, it's fun for me. I know it's not fun for you, but, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, who's going to win against uh, in the Manchester Derby? I'll go for 1-1 again, like I always do. Oh, honestly, you must have so many scales in your arse. <laughs> What's your prediction? What's your prediction? I think Manchester City will win 2-0. Oh, 
I think I think I think all these redemption song type uh, run will come to an end where he does this amazing, you know, Lazarus rising from the dead thing, where he um, has a dreadful result in one game and then goes into the next and suddenly it's all okay. So yeah, I'm going to go for Manchester City. 2-0, there we go. That's our predictions for the Manchester Derby. Uh, we're going to finish off today's news with um, quite an interesting and intriguing little story, Duncan, uh, coming from Watford, where uh, Filippo Giraldi, who has been very much uh, a major part in their recruitment strategy over the past three seasons, has left the club. This is a guy who, you have to say, made a lot of money for Watford in terms of the recruitment of players like Richardson and Abdullah Dukouri as well, who they sold for big profits and uh, has been part of the success of a club which um, stayed in the Premier League but obviously were relegated at the end of last season. Duncan, we've, had to, we've done quite a few chats about Watford on the Transfer Window podcast and we've always been quite uh, praiseworthy in terms of their achievements. Obviously, not so much in the last three months or four months. But um, how do you see this affecting the club in terms of their recruitment policy? Or do you think that uh, Mr. Pozzo is clever enough to have someone else in place in order to take uh, the place of Filippo Giraldi? I think the Pozzo is that they're transfer movements and uh, recruitment has been so central to the work they've done at Udinese and at Watford and the, and the combination of those two clubs' resources that um, losing any particular individual um, won't change the overall strategy. I, I think what you see here is something similar to their, their treatment of managers um, when the results go against them. They've always been very quick to change coach, um, you know, famously with Javi Garcia, they they gave him that extremely long term contract. made a made a big point out of having given him a, an extremely long term contract. He gets them to the the FA Cup final, um, has a bad start to the next season, and he's gone um, and involved in a big legal battle over over his compensation. They go through multiple coaches uh, during that season to try and turn things around and uh, and end up changing coach again um, just before the end of the season uh, using their uh, assistant coaches to complete the campaign and change coach and, uh, and a new appointment uh, in the summer. They have uh, Cristiano Giaretta as sporting director, not exactly the same role as Giraldi held. Um, I don't think it will make a, a great difference to the to the way they operate in the market. What's going to be more important is whether they can get back into the the Premier League again, and uh, and have that platform in which they essentially develop and advertise their signings with the intention of selling them on to bigger clubs. Um, but it will be interesting to see what Giraldi ends up doing because he's a guy who has a, a good reputation in the industry and is considered uh, by a lot of people who work in, in transfer recruitment to be competent and uh, and skilled at what he does. I can vouch for that having met him and spoken to him on many occasions that he certainly is a very knowledgeable guy in transfer uh, policy and recruitment and yeah um, I think there's no doubt he will land on his feet regardless of uh, leaving Watford that's for sure. Now, it is the second pod of the week, which of course means the Donkey Award will be given to a very, very um, deserving candidate. Uh, this week, we have decided to dedicate the Donkey Award to um, the UK government's Paymaster General, Penny Mordaunt, who this week in Parliament tried to uh, beat down MPs um, on all sides, but mostly of the opposition benches for uh, criticising or indeed even asking questions about a no-deal Brexit or indeed a negotiation stance of the UK on the basis that it was both unpatriotic and unhelpful. So it's the Penny Mordaunt Award for not asking difficult questions. Duncan, I'm going to open the envelope, the golden envelope, of course, uh, because even in these trying times, uh, we have managed to maintain certain standards here at the Transfer Window podcast, and the golden envelope still does exist. 
There we go. I'll just take out the nomination lists. So, a bit of a personal one here, Duncan. Uh, for me, that is, which of course um, may or may not be of interest to our listeners, but it's certainly quite funny. Uh, we'll start, however, with Thierry Henry, who, um, after a Champions League 0 0 draw with Ajax um, at the what was used to be called the Amsterdam Arena, but is now the Johan Cruyff Arena, was asked a question in the mix zone by a very good friend of ours, Mr. Danny Fulbrook. Uh, God rest his soul. Because uh, Arsene Wenger had said prior to the match that it wasn't enough to win the Champions League, you had to win it with style. And Henri himself was on a b- very bad run of uh, Baron scoring, or not scoring, I should say. And uh, Danny asked Thierry, um, about the manager's comments and Henri's response was don't ask stupid questions so he is our first nomination for this particular award uh, secondly um, and it's one that we know Duncan loves is Jurgen Klopp uh, who refuses to uh, answer different questions after any bad result that Liverpool have uh, if you don't believe us then simply google Jurgen Klopp press conferences after defeats and you will find of the video that you need. And the third one is my personal recollection of when Walter Smith, then manager of Rangers in 1998, banned me from Ibrooks for criticising him. And in uh, the penultimate game of the season at Duncan's beloved Tanadice uh, with Dundee United, uh, they lost 1-0 to a Richard Goff own goal. And Walter, who, as I said, had banned me from attending press at Ibrooks, walked into the Tanadice press room, saw me there and said, either he leaves or I do. And my response was, bye-bye. And Walter stormed out red-faced, red-nosed in uh, some state of anger. Um, So uh, I didn't exactly ask a difficult question, Duncan, but I certainly gave him a difficult decision to make. Uh, I leave it to you to award uh, the Donkey Penny Morton Award for Do Not Ask Difficult Questions. Well, I'm, I'm sure you asked plenty of difficult questions to Walter Smith to get you into that position where um, he refused to even be in a, a room with you. For that reason, and because it's associated with a famous Dundee United victory, I'm going to put you in ahead of Jurgen Klopp, who, let's face it, has got enough of these trophies already. I'm even going to put you in ahead of Thierry Henry and I'm going to give you as a Christmas present your first Oh, am donkey. I getting a donkey? Oh, that's sensational. Oh, what am I going to tell my wife? She's going to be really upset that I've been given a better present than she can get me. <laughs> no, never mind. Uh, I will treat it with the absolute uh, uh, sort of due um, sort of uh, deity that it is. My my golden statue of Duncan's head, uh, straight in the straight in the downstairs bathroom or something like that. Yeah. Well, you've been there, so you know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that is us for this week on the Transfer Window Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's pod and indeed uh, Tuesdays as well. Um, as you know, if you like what you heard, please leave a five star review on iTunes. And if you like, subscribe to the Transfer Window podcast on YouTube. Turn on all notifications and you'll be the first to know when the next pod is being published. Please join the discussion uh, because, as you know, we love to hear your views, your opinions and engage with you. We are on at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Duncan's at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I am on at Garbo SJ. We have to say that uh, we hope that you stay safe and be well. And also, of course, thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Hey.